0: Hello world, this is Stephen Francis, and you're listening to the Humble and Honest Podcast. Today, I'm very excited because I am going to have an incredible conversation with Ryan Romeo. Ryan Romeo is an artist, writer, and speaker. He has a deep passion for church and all things creative. He's currently the creative arts pastor at his local church, Living Streams, and is the creative director and co-founder of The Outcry Tour. He lives in Phoenix, Arizona, which I imagine is extremely hot, but also this man truly has an incredible passion and vision on his life. He is coming out with a book called Head in the Clouds, and we're going to be talking about all of that regarding the book and also some other things in regards to the Outcry tour and his recent dwell that he just had. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. Let's dive in my conversation with Ryan Romeo.
1: Ryan Romeo. That's actually a really cool name, by the way. Have you heard that? Growing oh up. yes! Oh, many, many, many times. People nowadays they're like, "Is that your real name?" And it's just so embarrassing to me that people would think I would have a stage name or something. But yes, Ryan Romeo, it's my legit name. It does sound <laughs> got, kind of like a state. You know what I mean? Like I know. Like, I know. I'm, I'm really thankful. It's legitimate. Thankful to my family, <laughs> uh, my parents, for giving me such a great name. But uh, yeah, Stephen, it's such a such an honor to be on the podcast today. Oh, man.
0: Thank you. I'm I'm so grateful that you're here. And I'm even more grateful because you just finished up your Dwell Conference this weekend. Can you tell me a little bit about that? It has a pretty unique vision that I really like.
1: Yeah, we really wanted to—our our church, we have a great creative team. That's my my 9-to-5 job is working at my local church, overseeing the creative side of our, our church. And we had uh, really a vision to bring a lot of unity in Phoenix, and especially in the creative worship leader, you know, creative director sort of positions at the church. And there was just really nothing like that in Phoenix. And so we reached out to a bunch of different churches, some of the bigger churches. Churches here in the valley, and pulled them all together, and put on a two-day conference uh, with Phil Wickham and Chris Kihlala, and then a bunch of local people too. Uh, there's there's a group here in town called Renew uh, Worship that's awesome, and so just really trying to mix that like local with you know, national leaders and really encourage and bless the, the creative teams here. But honestly, it was what, turned into one of those things where I think it started to really infect the worship culture of the mm-hmm. Valley. Like at the, I was actually just processing with a couple of my leaders back at church and they were like, you know, I think we were so excited about it, excited about Phil, Phil coming and all that. But I think God did so much more than, than we even thought was going to happen. So good. So, Yeah, we're just blessed and exhausted and everything in between. Man, that's incredible. <laughs> that's incredible. You know the one thing,
0: uh, I've been able to listen to your podcast and listeners out there, check out Ryan's podcast, Head in the
1: Clouds. He has the English lady intro. You always shout Sorry. her out. I think that's I, the one. I do. I do. <laughs> you know, I, I'm a creature of habit, so I love having that same intro. But when my producer sent me that, I was like, yes, something about an English announcer lady that makes you feel way more official in life. Indeed. It does take it to the next
0: level. But <laughs> Share your story with us, man. How'd you come to faith and, and how'd you end up doing the ministry that you're doing right now? And, you know, obviously the thing that you might be most famous for is the Outcry Tour. So uh, bring yeah. us to the inception of all of that, the, the yeah. beginning. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um,. Really, I became Christian. I I was the first Christian in my family. So there was no sort of, I mean, I grew up in in Tucson, Arizona, which is not the Bible belt at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I grew up never hearing the name of Jesus. And I think my my parents took me to church once or twice growing up. Maybe when I was getting in trouble, they thought, well, we'll just bring him to church. (laughs) And really, there was no relationship with Jesus, no real understanding of who he is. And then one day I met this, this young youth pastor, and he's actually a good friend to this day, but his his name is Joel. And Joel one day found out that I played guitar and he said, Hey, will you come lead worship for my small group? And I was like, I don't know what any of that means, but <laughs> I'll come play guitar <laughs> in okay. front of people. Sure. I'll do that. You know, that sounds good. And, um, started learning worship songs, kind of like mid nineties worship songs. So, you know, a lot of Matt Redman and delirious and kind of early passion, even before anyone even knew who Chris Tomlin was, and started learning these songs. And after a while, I started to realize this is something I need in my life. Like, I I need a relationship with Jesus. And things started to shift for me. And I think some people have like that day, you know, they're like, this day, this hour, I accepted Jesus. Mine was a lot more of a process. Mine was a lot more, I'm a thinker, didn't grow up Christian. So I was, you know trying to figure out the lingo everyone was using I was trying to figure out what everyone was really saying and I remember one night though my pastor gave a message and he was he was talking about how all the disciples died a martyr's death And in my mind, I was like, why would you die for something if you didn't believe it happened? You know, like, why would you die for something? You know, at your deathbed, you'd probably go, all right, I was making it up. (laughs) You know, we hit his, you know, we took his body out of the grave, you know. And that was really the thing for me that was like, oh, that makes sense. So around, you know, 16 years old, I became a Christian and, and everything changed for me. But I always joke I was a worship leader before I was even a Christian. I mean, I was, I was playing worship in my life, you know, in my small group. And, and from that point on, once I got saved, I started to really have this vision, this passion to be a part of bigger worship events. I didn't really know what it looked like. I remember I was listening to, um, a delirious album called Live 97, which was, 1997. (laughs) And, um, and I was listening to it and I just, I had something inside of me and I really think it was the Lord giving me this sort of like precursor to a calling I'd be walking into this sort of like prophetic echo into what I'd be walking into. And I really felt like he was speaking to me, Ryan, live events, live worship events are going to really be a part of your life. And I just assumed, you know, maybe me as a worship leader, that I'd be leading worship, you know, at these sort of events. And so fast forward a, a few years, um, my wife and I were in YWAM. So we were, we were missionaries. We, we loved working with YWAM. And uh, one day I came back into my hometown and decided it was time for, for me to, to go back to college. So when I did, I went back to uh, art school. And of all things, I just was always really a, a fan of the creative. And I assumed, I thought, maybe I'll go into seminary or something. But I really did feel like the Lord was saying, hey, go to, go to Tucson, go to U of A, get a degree in graphic design. So started doing that. And, um, and in the middle of that, I thought, you know, I really should, if I'm going to be a graphic designer, you know, if I'm going to be like a real pay the bills graphic designer, I'm going to have to have some clients. So... I remember just cold emailing everybody that I could think of that I looked up to, you know, every band, every, you know, like speaker, every musician, anybody that I could think of. And just kind of a general email that said, hey, I don't know who's doing your graphic design, but I would love an opportunity to step in and help you. So that's interesting. So you didn't know any of them. You just kind of shoot your shot with all of these... I knew none of them. Yes, I knew wow. none of them. And it was everybody from Chris Tomlin to like rock bands that I like to, you know, everybody. And um, I didn't get one response from anybody except David Crowder. And David Crowder got back to me and mm-hmm. he said, if you come up with some ideas for our website, he's like, we do need some help with our website. If you come up with some ideas for me, we'll take a look at them. And to me, that was like the most amazing opportunity in my life. I was like, okay, I knew. And in my head, I'm like, I can't let this grow cold. You know, I've got his attention. I got, I'm like, I gave myself this arbitrary deadline of one week. I'm going to give him some design ideas in one week. Mm -hmm. Flash design was all the rage at the time before Steve Jobs declared it dead. So I was working on Flash and doing some like animated websites. And he had an album at the time called Remedy. It was this kind of like green and white, uh, album. And so I animated the illustrations on the front of the album and they kind of like came up when the site opened. And, and then the, the clincher was, I had this weird image of Crowder from the back of the album, Crowder's band kind of all fanned out. And when you rolled down on the bottom, like he would pop up, the whole band would pop up. And so I sent it to him and I was just so nervous you know a week later sent hit send on that email and um he got back to me in like an hour and he said we love it let's let's move forward and so probably the next day something like that i got an email from shelly giglio from 268 and started working with passion and so it's just sitting in my i had this you know little house in tucson arizona you know i'm like i didn't network with anybody in person i didn't it was just really miraculous the way it all set up and um so then, fast forward a few years, and Crowder called me, and he said, Hey, I'm doing a conference in Waco called Crowder's Fantastical Church Music Conference, which is a very David Crowder name for a conference. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> and um, he said, Will you do some design and help me run the creative? And I said, Absolutely. So, came up with this off-the-wall you know, design. We did this crazy poster, and designed this uh, this crazy logo with this like preacher with his face kind of like glowing and just outrageous stuff. Mm -hmm. So we used that we used that logo. We printed it out on paper that was like I think it was something like thirty feet long and we put it onto this pegboard and we bought every light bright that was available at the time, because Lightbrite, I think they started making them again, but yeah. at the time they were they were discontinued. So we bought every Lightbrite available on eBay across the country. So we cleared out it, we bought it from everyone, got it to the location in Waco, and gave everyone Lightbrite pegs to go like plug in for the logo. And it was just crazy. Just a crazy conference. That sounds so cool. Yeah. But we... Um, so in that conference, I met a guy uh, named Shane Quick. And kind of talked to him. He's running the logistics of it. He was just, you know, got into uh, being an owner in this company called Premier Productions. And probably a year later, after that Crowder conference, something like that, I got a call on my phone and I looked at it and it said, Shane Quick. And I was like, man, that sounds so familiar. And I'd forgotten, like, at this point, I was like, who is that again? answered it, and he said, hey, you know, my name's Shane. You know, I remember we met in Waco. And he said, I'm thinking about doing a new worship leader conference. He's like, I'm thinking of doing a worship leader conference called Outcry. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, I'm a worship leader. I got a lot to say about it. And And he was like, oh, I just thought you were a graphic designer, you know. And we started talking, and I was like, man, I just have such a heart for the church, such a heart for local leaders, because I am a local leader, you know. And there's always this this thing where you show up to these big live events and you're like, this is so encouraging and so exciting, but yet on the inside, you feel like I'll never be able to do something like this. Like, I don't have the budget for this. I don't, my team is just barely showing up every day prepared, you know, like this is so disconnected from where I am. And I said, I just, I think whatever we do, it has to have this element where it's building them up. It's not telling them they need to do what we're doing to be significant. They need to know that they are significant in the kingdom because of, of what they're doing. And they're part of the greatest movement in history called the local church. And so Shane was like, yes, I agree with all of that. And he said, um, "He said, you know, I was just going to pick your brain about design. He's like, but I think we have a lot more to talk about. He's like, why don't you come out to California He said, I just started working with this new group called Jesus Culture. We're doing a conference in in L.A. Why don't you come out for it? And that was the beginning of us talking about outcry. And um, it turned into a thousand different things along the way. And Stephen, there's a bunch of stories I can tell along the way. But ultimately, probably about three or four years later, something like that. I got a call from Shane and we had been putting together all these design ideas. We've been putting together all these like elevator pitches. You know, we'd put everything together into like a one-sheeter and like give to people and go, hey, we, we want to do this thing. And Shane called me one day and he said, um, I just got off the phone with Brian Houston or with Joel Houston mm-hmm. from Hillsong United. He said we were going to help him do a United tour here. But they don't want to do a Hillsong tour. They just want to join another tour. He said, but I don't have anything happening that time. What if we turned Outcry into a tour? Wow. And from that point on, it felt like we couldn't stop Outcry even if we wanted to. Mm -hmm. So Joel Houston said, yeah, we'll, we'll join you in this and kind of take a risk as you guys are starting this new tour. And then we sent out an invite basically to every worship group that we could think of. And that first year, first year we had Hillsong United, Jesus Culture, Bethel, Carrie, Job, Triple. And then we got a an album from, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but we got a rough demo album from a singer named Lauren Daigle. Oh, shoot. And we listened to it and we were like, oh, this is pretty good. And we had all this debate. We're like, should we give her the slot? I don't know. So we took a big risk on yeah, a girl named Lauren, da- Lauren Daigle, year one. Mm-hmm. And probably about, I think, four or five months, I think it was about five months after I had the phone call, that initial phone call with Shane, Outcry hit its first date. And um, we averaged that first tour ten to 20,000 people a night. Incredible. And it was unbelievable. It was really one of the most beautiful things I'd been a part of, but also... I've always said the hardest thing I've been a part of was that very first Outcry tour mm-hmm. but since then we've done we did 90 Outcries had almost a million people attend the tour saw 50,000 people give their life to Jesus we always had a moment where we shared the gospel even though it was a worship conference everyone's like a co- concert everyone's like why why would you share the gospel at yeah. a worship con- concert and we just knew deep down we're like there's people that need to know jesus in this room and so we saw a lot of fruit it was unbelievable so yeah that is the that's the long story of how i got got to to outcry
0: but that's beautiful though and and Congratulations on all the success that you guys have seen. There's two mm. questions that I want to ask. One from the perspective of outcry, and then the other one is just a worship leader that has not only been a part of seeing some of the best of the best do their thing, but also as probably someone as a musician yourself may have some perspective in all right? So the first yeah. one is, what is the most memorable moment of the outcry tour, good or bad? Just when okay. you think of the outcry tour, is there a moment that you say, man that that tour that year yeah
1: yeah I I think gosh there are there are really so many of them you mind if I tell a couple yeah go ahead (laughs) okay (laughs) first uh I think for me personally in my walk you know I, I started off outcry thinking I'm a creative leader I'm a worship leader that's that's kind of the the lens I was looking through but God kind of saw me in a different way. And it took me a while for me to see myself in the way that, that the Lord saw me. Yeah. But year one of Outcry, I remember thinking, we have so many amazing people on this tour. And we want to do like a little kind of local church moment backstage with everybody. So our idea... The idea was we we would just put down on a list, like, who is responsible for what night. Like, what night is Hillsong responsible? What night is Bethel responsible? And they would come and they'd lead worship. They would speak maybe a little bit and minister, kind of like like a small group, yeah. but with all of our heroes. <laughs> and I remember we were backstage, and I think it was, I think we were in Louisiana. Uh, I, I don't know for sure. And we were backstage, and we had been doing... These nights, and they were really, really awkward. And I, I was shocked. I was going, These guys, this is what they do, you know? But yeah. when they're backstage just drumming, like they don't really know each other all that well. It just felt like every night. I didn't look forward to it because I'm like, I'm putting all my heroes, like I'm torturing all my heroes, putting them them together in this awkward room, you know, but we were like stubborn enough to like keep going. And one night Lauren was leading worship and, uh, you know, she comes running in like barefoot and, you know, I'm like year one, she had no manager. I'm texting her going, Lauren, you got to get in here. And, uh, so she comes in and she's leading worship and, and we finish and I kind of was looking out the room and I was like, does anybody feel like the Lord is saying anything? And and I think any leader has been in that place where you say a word like that. Yeah. And you just have to let a little bit of awkward silence sit, you know? Yeah. And it's it's like death to you. Like on the inside I was dying. And I was literally counting down in my head, I'm like ten, nine, eight. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'll give this ten seconds. Yeah. And at the very end of it, Carrie Job raised her hand and she said, I think I have a word for Crowder. Is he in the room? And David and his wife were in the corner, and David raised his hand and She went over and delivered this prophetic word to Crowder, and it was really powerful. Like, Mm. people were crying, David's wife was crying, and... Taya and Joel Houston were in there and, and Jen Johnson was in there and Jen was like hey let's lay hands on Crowder and his wife and everyone just surrounded Crowder and laid hands on him and I was just looking at this room and I'm like just people from different walks it's like you've got like Trip Lee's like prophesying over him and you've got Jen from Bethel prophesying and you've got Joel Houston sitting there I'm like this is unbelievable and really it was that moment for me where everything switched hmm and i started to really get this understanding that god was calling me to lead in that room and i still had one other moment in later on in that tour where the hillsong people were leading worship and when they were done they're like if you're if you've ever done like backstage worship or acoustic worship you you'd like nestle into this moment where the worship leaders just kind of like picking on his guitar yes. <laughs> and everyone's just kind of like waiting for something to happen yeah and hillsong was doing that and I just had this feeling of like, Ryan, you got to open your eyes. And I opened my eyes and JD from Hillsong was just like staring a hole in my face. (laughs) And he looked at me and he was like strumming and he just kind of shrugs like, what do you want to do now? You know? Mm -hmm. And I just had this moment where I like, look behind me, like, are you talking to me? You know, like you want me to lead this moment? And I kind of stepped in and said something and Really, for me, on the positive side, that first tour, the thing that God taught me was, and it's something I say all the time, be confident in your calling, not your ability. Mm. Like this moment where you go, I am not equipped to be here. I don't have a platinum album. I don't have a book out. There's no reason, no logical reason why I should be leading backstage with outcry other than the calling of God. Wow. And to be able to walk in that and say, yes, I am called to do this and I could do it with confidence. It's a scary thing because we'd have, you know, Furtick would stop by or we'd have Chris Kane later on in the tour. People that are like so intimidating to be around. Mm-hmm. Brian Houston, he's like a mountain of a man, you know, like he yeah. like talks three octaves lower than any human <laughs> should talk. And he just commands the room and I'm like. I'm supposed to lead in this room, you know. Mm -hmm. But when God's anointing you to do something, calling you to do something way outside of your comfort zone, outside of what you think you could do, that's when you get to really see Him come through. And I'm just like this creative, bearded Italian guy that I'm like, I I don't understand why I'm I'm leading in this room, other than the calling of Jesus. So on that on that level, those are like some of my top moments on Outcry. I do have to share one though. I think that. That people enjoy hearing more, okay. um, and those are the failures. <laughs> okay, and we had um, so with our conference this last weekend, we we worked really hard on our opener, and at the end of our opener, all the power shut off, <laughs> and it was like at the worst time. And I'm like, I'm sorry, like yelling to the room, like the power's <laughs> out. But I remember one time with outcry, we were we were in Atlanta, we had probably twelve to fifteen thousand people there, and. Um, I was sitting at front of house, which is just where we have all of our sound stuff, and I was sitting there, kind of keeping an eye on everything. I had my headset in, just kind of talking to production, and uh, we were getting ready to do our opener for Outcry. And same thing, we'd been producing a video, we'd been running it every night, you know. And so we're getting ready, and Louis Giglio comes walking up, and he like puts his arm on my shoulder, and he's like, his hand on my shoulder, and he's like, "Ryan, this has been so cool. He's like, you guys have just been." doing such a good job with this thing. And Louie, I mean, with passion and like, especially if you grew up in the 90s and 2000s, I'm like, you are my hero. Yeah, That you're telling me that you're proud of what we're doing is unbelievable. So I'm like feeling so proud. I'm sitting there like just beaming going, man, I can't wait to call my wife after this and tell her what Louie told me. And uh, in my ears production's like, okay, lights down. You know, we're getting ready for uh, our opener. Lights go down. They hit play on the video, and there's no audio on the video. It's just video. Hey, world. We're going
0: to keep doing this conversation with Ryan Romeo, but I want to take a quick break just to let you know that the Humble and Honest Podcast now has a patreon page this means for as low as one dollar a month you can help continue the conversations that we are having on this podcast i'm going to put the link in the description for this episode and i definitely encourage you to check out the humble and honest page for more information and again i want to thank you for your support and being sure that we can continue these conversations with whatever contribution that you give check out the patreon page when you get the chance. However, let's get back to this conversation What Ryan Roman.
1: Oh. And and it's for a second, I'm like, oh, oh, you know, like, did you unmute the channel? The guy's like, yeah. And, I, and then I was like, video world, what's going on? They said, we don't know what's going on. And... People started like booing in the crowd. I'm like, come on, people. So, and you're like, you're sitting there, and Louis is like standing still next to me, and I kind of see him like walk off a little bit. I was like,
0: <laughs> oh.
1: And Stephen, the entire night, there was never audio on the video. So every opener, like Carrie Job's opener, would come up. The video would be playing. It's silent, oh, and I was man. like, oh. oh. And those are the moments where you're like, okay, even if you have huge budget, even if you have the best people stuff like that happens, you Indeed. know, and it's like, it just helps remind you, like, it's not what it's about. It is, you know, it's about connecting with Jesus. And you could do that with a giant sound system. You could do that with perfect production. You could do it with less than perfect production. You know, like it, that, that doesn't really matter. Anyway, I found out when I tell that story, people are like, oh, oh, thank God that happens. <laughs> that happens on that level too. Yeah, you exactly.
0: Know? And that's what I was going to say. First off, thank you so much for sharing those stories and being vulnerable with that. But man, that gives a lot of encouragement not only to the rest of us in the world that may be on a smaller scale but still have an important calling but also oh, yeah. man I think stuff like that always keeps you humble I've experienced in my life mm-hmm. I have preached sermons that I have walked off and I was like that was trash that was <laughs> terrible they should yeah. never let me speak again only to find out that's like sometimes not even that day years later someone says I heard you share that message and it changed my life and I was like are you oh, yeah. kidding and then oh, yeah. on the inverse I've had messages where I felt like I crushed it and people were just like, I didn't get anything. It was fun. You know what I mean? And <laughs> Absolutely. It, yeah. Totally. And it all goes down to like, listen, we can prepare and plan and we should. And obviously we pray, but it's mm-hmm. God that makes all the difference when it's said and done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's funny.
1: funny. Yeah, and it is. It's funny. You have no idea what seeds you're planting. You have no idea. And even, you know, we were just talking, I was just processing with leaders about Dwell, you know, from yesterday, uh, day before yesterday. Feels like yesterday. Mm -hmm. We were saying, you know, we have no idea. We have no idea what kind of impact it made. We have no idea what kind of seeds we planted. And that's one of those things that it's like in ministry, there's always that moment where you have to let go. You know, it's like. Mm I made this thing. I'm really proud of it. I spoke this message. I created this video. I wrote this song, whatever it is. And you have to just let it go. Damn. And yesterday we had this uh, a guest worship leader named John Egan um, from New Life. And New Life is an unbelievable church. And... Um, so he, he came down and he's written a lot of songs that that people sing in churches and just an unbelievable guy. But he, he was asking me, I said, because I've got my new book coming out and I gave him an advanced copy. We I just got a batch from, from Zondervan and um, he was like, man, this is so cool. How do you feel? And I was like, I think equal parts excited and terrified, mm-hmm. you know. And um, he's like, it's true. He, and he started rattling off people that we would all know that are like, when he came out with this album, he thought this was going to be like the end all be all for him. And it was like his worst selling album, you know. <laughs> and it's like these moments where you're like, this is, I did my best. I absolutely poured my guts into this thing. And for me, it was a book. And now I'm letting it go. And I'm going to let God do through it what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. And the more you care about it and the more time you put into it, the more it's a sacrifice, you know, more, the more it's like this sort of like altar moment for the Lord of going, whatever this impacts, whether it impacts 100 people or 100,000 people, I I don't care. I'm giving it over to you, you know. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, there's always that moment for sure and let me say this I'm excited to talk about the book I'm very excited about it I was able yeah. to read the
0: little intro to it um, Good. I do want to ask this before I move on though because as a musician and as someone that has been in the worship leader scene yeah. who is the worship artist right now that you enjoy listening to who's the most innovative mm. maybe the, the taking worship to the next level do you have anybody yeah. that you think of I-
1: I, you know, it's funny. It's like, obviously, I have so many, so many friends that uh, that I've developed over the years that have albums out that I love. And, um, but if I were to say anybody right now that's surprising me and that I just find myself hit and play on a lot, that would be Upper Room. Oh, um, yeah. Me too. Upper, that's my yeah. answer. Yeah. Yeah. Upper Room is there's just sort of this unfettered, unpolished thing that they do. And it's like, it feels less like they're trying to make an album and more like you're just getting a snapshot of them on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful for me. And there's something kind of refreshing about that for me, too. So Upper Room, yeah, there's songs I just feel like, and for our congregation to become some of these sort of anthemic songs that we've been singing a lot over. So, yeah, I would say, I would say Upper Room. Absolutely. Uh upper
0: room is almost dangerous to me because I've had times where I've tried to play them casually and then all of a sudden I feel like speaking in tongues and prophesying over my coworkers. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> so, oh yeah. oh yeah. yeah, man. It takes you it takes you to another place and it's like And honestly, that's the power of worship music. It's the power of music and creativity when when it comes to interacting with uh, the Holy Spirit. And it's like, I always know there's something really beautiful in a songwriter when they sing something. And you're like, I wanted to sing that, but I didn't know until I heard them sing it. You know what Mm, I'm saying? It's like, Pat Barrett is one of those guys, too. Pat's a good friend of mine from House Fires. And Mm -hmm. he just, he writes these songs that I'm like, oh, it's just like... That's what I wanted to sing, you know? So, but yeah, Upper Room is that for me, 100%. Absolutely.
0: But now let's go into the book. So your book is a Head in the Clouds, and it's all about dreams. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious to you, you know, obviously God put this on your heart for you to share, but what is it about this book that you believe people really need to get in their own lives?
1: I think that we approach dreaming in kind of a weird way sometimes in the church. And um, sometimes we approach it in this sort of like, yes, God wants to, you know, like, God is a God of big dreams, but don't dream too big. Hmm. Don't, you know, like, don't, we say things like, don't get out ahead of the Holy Spirit. And I, I agree with a lot of those things. but. A lot of this language starts to, like, communicate that God doesn't care about big dreams, that God doesn't care about the things that you're passionate about, and that somehow, like, we have to, like, shift who we are to follow Jesus. And I I started to get awakened to this recently and going... No, God is a God of big dreams. Mm-hmm. God is a God who cares about the things deep down inside of you. And even even like I was saying about Outcry, like I, I imagined I would be a worship leader at Outcry. I ended up being a speaker and leader, hmm. which for me was like super uncomfortable. I'm like, God, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, And that's why I use that language, that prophetic echo. Like God gives us this sort of echo of what we're going to be called to do. We're not fully sure what it looks like. You know, there's not this like it's kind of like Joseph and Joseph was the the story that really kicked off the head in the clouds thought process for me. Joseph is a man who has a big dream. He has an actual dream from God. Uh, But this dream is so general. It's like, Joseph, you are going to be a man of great influence. So much so that your family is going to be bowing down before you. Mm -hmm. And Joseph, I mean, he's young and naive and he shares it with everybody. And it's kind of (laughs) like, hey, even his dad's like, hey, man tone it down a bit, you know, but Joseph had this confidence because he had this calling from God that he knew he was just like, he assumed everyone was where he was at. And he starts sharing like, Hey, this is, this is this dream I had. And it was so real to me. And it was so tangible to me that you guys, you got to hear about this. And when Joseph gets that dream I love it because he shares it with everybody and then his life basically goes down the toilet. I mean, everything goes wrong in his life and he's sold into slavery and and even, you know, like in Potiphar's house, he he gets this like little moment where things are gonna be okay, and then no, he gets falsely falsely accused and then he's in jail. (laughs) And it's like all these things are going on in Joseph's life. But what I saw about him, like, especially in in Potiphar's house, he's sitting in Potiphar's house and Potiphar says, I see that everything that you do prospers and that God is with you. And that even in this, like, this place where it makes no sense, he's not trying to get promotion. He can't really get promotion. He's a slave, you know, like, Mm -hmm. the only thing he could really get is more responsibility when he does a good job. But he's sitting in a place where he's enslaved and he does the best that he can. So much so that his slave master is like, I see what you're doing, and it's awesome. Yeah. And Joseph takes each season of his life, as bad as it is, and treats it with purpose and passion. And that was one of those things for me. I started to look back on my life, and I'm like, man, I'm sitting here, and I'm like, I have this amazing tour. We're going out. We have huge budget. But what I thought back to was the the years of leading worship in front of, like, 80 people hmm. or, you know, leading in front of a, a church of 150 people. Like, that, that was where I grew up. That's where I, like, cut my teeth in ministry. That was everything. And I thought back on that, and I'm like, all those moments, I treated them— as if I were on outcry already. wow! And I started to like back solve a little bit, you know, like sometimes you don't really appreciate the giftings things that you bring to the table, unless you, you really have some sort of like Holy spirit help to look back over your life and go, Oh, I have some things that are actually really, really amazing that God's woven into my personality. And, and it's like this confidence that's born out of this humility of knowing you didn't create yourself, but like appreciating from the outside, like, Oh, that's interesting. And I look back on these times where I'm going with 80 people, I would just show up. I would be the first one there. I'd be setting up chairs. I was the first one to like sit my team down and give them a devotional, even though there's like maybe three of them there and they were not the best musicians in the world. And But I treated them with this sort of passion and purpose that I just like I couldn't stop doing that, you know. Mm And I realized the same amount of effort that I put into the small was an echo of the same effort that I'd put into the big. Because at some point, outcry didn't feel special to me anymore. At some point, rolling up in a tour bus, sleep deprived, getting out, taking a shower, you know, and like the gang showers at (laughs) at these arenas. It's not glamorous, you know, and at some point, the novelty of that wore off. And it didn't feel special to me anymore. Mm -hmm. And what I was left with was this sort of like work ethic, this philosophy deep down that really comes from Timothy. When when, when Paul's saying, do all things as if unto God, it was like this deep-seated thing inside of me where I'm going... All of this is an offering. At some point, it's all, the novelty is going to wear off of all of it, and what I'm left with is this ethic that I built in the small in the small things, and that was the thing that was an echo of of, of the amount of effort I put into the big things. Yeah, and I think so many people get in this place where they're like. You know, I'm, I'm working at Starbucks or I've got a lame boss and, you know, like I, one day I'm going to put in 110%. You know, I'm, one day I'm going to really pour it out when I'm, when I'm sitting in my ultimate calling. And so all of these ideas started bubbling up and I was like, you know what, we need to be a people that honor the big dreams that God gives us. So, we have to have our head in the clouds and pushing 40, and I've got three kids. It's harder and harder for me to like keep that dreamer in me alive, but I'm like, I fight to keep that alive. Mm -hmm. But then on the other side, we have to keep our feet on the ground. Like, we have to have this balance between the big dreams and then taking today seriously and that was really the foundation of this book then I started diving in going okay what are the things that you have to lay there's foundations in our life we have to lay with the Lord expectations we have to to lay as a foundation before we start pursuing dreams we got to know there are dream killers. There are things that are going to come along and try to knock you off your high horse. And and then at the end of the day, we have to start on it. Really, ultimately, starting on a dream that you feel like God has given you a green light on is one of your first miraculous things that you do in that walk where you go, hmm. I'm going to take one step to start. So the last section of my book is about starting on the dream that God gives you.
0: So good. So good. And you know, I want to ask you some questions that I know you, you mentioned in the book, but I want people to get an idea of it for themselves and encourage them to read it. You know, you've already talked about just some of these things already, but for the person that first and foremost has a dream, you know, how do they distinguish between what's a dream that God has placed in them and what's a dream that they've created themselves that may be a mm-hmm. little bit more vain, maybe a little bit more in yeah. the interest of making them famous or making them successful. Uh, how yeah. do you tell the difference? Cause sometimes they can look the same, especially in the they church really world. Can.
1: Absolutely. I think there, it really starts with a lot of self-awareness. And I, I talk in the beginning of the book, you know, the, when David's in the Psalm says, search me and know me, mm-hmm. there's this, humility, and I kind of touched touched on it before, there's like this humility that breeds confidence in the Lord that feels a little counterintuitive, but your confidence has to start with this humility of understanding that I didn't make myself, even when we're praying, like, trying to figure out what our motives are, like, yeah. We don't even really know our motives. Like God is the one that knows that. Like there's like this little, this place in our heart that we don't even know how to articulate or communicate or understand what's happening in there. And I would always start there. And I would, you know, like if I felt like I had a dream, which I, I get ideas all the time. I have yeah. many, many ideas and many dreams. And I'll, I'll open up my my notebook. I'll write it down. Kind of look at it and go, okay, this is what I'm thinking. This is the idea that I had. And I go, okay, Lord. I submit this to you, like, you know, and I've had a few moments where I'd write those down, some things I feel like God's speaking to me and it would take, you know, outcry took Years really, it took three or four years for it to really get any traction. Mm-hmm. So there's many times where I, I, would, I would look at my dream and I'd go, "Okay, Lord, well maybe this isn't gonna happen, you know." But it's it's fun to imagine, it's fun to dream, and but ultimately we we got to look at you know when Jesus says the greatest among you are going to be the servants, the the like this sort of servant leadership attitude, without outcry Ultimately, we started to find this, um, the why of outcry. You know, Simon Sinek always talks about like, find the why. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, we want to do this big worship concert. I've heard a thousand people tell me that that's what they want to do. You know, like, oh man, I want to do this big event. Okay, awesome. That's exciting. And I think you, you might think it's going to be really fulfilling. <laughs> you might be surprised at how hard it is and how at the end of the day, you don't feel as fulfilled as you thought. But mm-hmm. th- set that aside. You just want to do an event. That's not enough. You know, like it's not enough to say I just want to do a big event. You have to drill down into why you're doing it, you know. And it really did take years for us as we we had many many conversations between Shane and I where we realized the the main why of Outcry was we wanted to promote unity mm-hmm. in the church and we wanted to show that by bringing these different streams together and pulling them together. And then what did we want to say? What we wanted to say was That if you think we're a big deal, you are actually the bigger deal because you're part of the local church, the greatest movement in history, the thing that Jesus set into motion, the thing that will never die. It's like the church will continue to go outcry, will go away, but the church will continue to keep going and just like raw, rawing everybody into going. You are a big deal. And ultimately, when we fell on that, it felt like the Lord gave us like, I mean, all systems go. Mm -hmm. And Looking back on it, I realized our our vision was serving people. Yeah. Our vision ultimately had to be like, how can we create momentum to serve people? And our the serving people was the church for us. We're like, we wanna serve. I always had in my mind that like church leader that had, you know, eighty people and he's been running this church for five years Mm -hmm. and he's going, I wanna give up. This doesn't seem like it's worth it anymore. I wanted to be able to stand on stage and say, Keep going. You are part of the greatest movement in history, even if you have eighty people, like keep moving, keep saying yes to the Lord. And that was the why of outcry. That really I mean, we talked again. It was a tour, like the last minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was a conference. Most of the time, God shifted it to a tour and looking back on it, I'm going, man, I'm so glad he did. It really changed the dynamic backstage. Back We've got to bring people together for a lot longer. They got to build relationships with each other. And so the what, I mean, God really knows what he's doing when it comes to the what, but digging into that, why? And I think so many people have these dreams and they're like, man, I want to have a bunch of social media followers. Yeah. Well, why? <laughs> why what are you going to tell them what are you what are you going to say like what is it what is the thing that god's telling you to do and how does it serve people there's that kind of stink that we could feel like you like you could smell off of people when you're like you're trying really hard to promote yourself like yeah. you're trying really hard to build an audience and you don't know why and that's kind of your first warning sign if you're like i want to build a big audience i want a lot of people to see this thing and you're like well what thing and mm-hmm. if it's a I don't know, just me, I guess, you know, or the, the wisdom that I want to bring to the table. That's not enough. You have to, you have to be a servant like Jesus is. So I would say it's got to start there and you got to really look at what is the fruit of this ministry? Like, what do I hope is going to happen? And if the fruit of that is, man, people getting set free, people finding, getting to know Jesus more. Um, if, if you want people leaving with Jesus on their lips, you're going like, already, already we're, we're getting some really good meat here. We're starting to really find, find that out, you know? And I think the other thing that, so like the, why is really important. Digging into that, making sure there's this sort of like heartfelt wanting to amplify Jesus sort of, you know, uh, vision behind it. Yeah. Then I think the other thing is the self-awareness part that I talked about. And, um, Mm. You know, for me, I started to realize at some point I had been a worship leader a long time, uh, but God was not calling me to be a worship leader on the level of outcry. Hmm. And it was a bit painful. It felt a little bit like I'm so close to this big dream, but I'm kind of far away from what I thought I was going to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I had to take a step back and go, okay, I, I haven't felt like this real... Like pouring on the spirit when it comes to songwriting, I haven't really felt like God's been pouring his favor onto me being like a recording artist. Mm-hmm. And I have to stop that. I have to like shut that part of my life down, this expectation that that was going to be part of something that I was going to be doing. And this willingness to say yes to this new thing. I never thought I would write a book, let alone two books. I never thought, you know, I would speak or start a podcast. I always felt far more comfortable being a musician. Mm -hmm. But that self awareness of going, no, 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 I, uh, that might be a great start and that might be a really great foundation, but at some point you have to shift into something new. So your identity is huge, knowing who you are, you know, like if you grew up a worship leader and then your job goes away. And you're not worship leader. Like for me, when I was not worship leader, Ryan, Ryan anymore, I was like, I went through some no man's land of going, well, then who am I, you know? But when you're pursuing these dreams, it's like, you got to be able to take a look at and go, okay, am I really gifted in this? Am I really talented in this? You know, like, am I really, do I have the gifting and the grace to go into it? That's one thing. Also looking at the opportunities. So like I started getting opportunities to write and speak and I was going, but I want this over here. I want worship to be the thing. And God was like, no, I want you to shift over into this thing. So we have to drill down into those things. And honestly, you got to get to the point where you go, Lord, sift my motivations. Mm -hmm. You know them more than I do sift my motivations. And and I talk a lot about that in the the beginning of the book. And if your expectation is and I, and I said it a little bit before, but if your expectation is you do a big event and your life is going to all make sense you're going to be really, really disappointed when you do your first big event yeah. <laughs> and you're going to go, I feel like my life makes even less sense now. You know, mm. if you think it's the the end all be all to be all on, a, on a tour bus playing in front of arenas uh, crowd, it's not. It's not the end all be all in life. At some point, the, the novelty will wear off. And what you're left with is the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines that you developed in obscurity. You know, what you're left with is how you develop discipline to follow Jesus and trust him in the dark, small moments of your life. That's the, that's how you're going to treat it when it gets big, you know, and when people are kind of deluding themselves into going one day when things are really big, then I'm going to really take it seriously. Then I'm going to really follow the Lord. Then I'm going to really build, you know, dig some, some, get some deep roots in the word. That's, that's not true at all. <laughs> what you're doing now is that echo of where you're going to be going. So you have to have that sort of foundation. And and then this is where my faith comes in because I really do believe that if your heart is after Jesus, if your heart is for Him, if your attention is on why you want to do the the thing that you're doing and, and you've sifted it and you go, I think this has uh, got a foundation on honoring and glorifying Jesus, then I think some of us overthink it and we're like, oh, well, when do I know to start? At that point, I would say, write it down, pray over it. If you feel like the Lord's saying thumbs up, start moving because you'll be surprised at where the Lord takes you once you take your first step
0: hello world we're going to continue this conversation, but I do want to let you know about the people that help me do what I do Ambo TV. Ambo TV brings inspirational live sermons from the most captivating next generation Christian pastors, along with in studio discussion to a broad multi platform audience. Check out ambotv.com or at ambo network, their social media, to see all of the great things that they have to offer. Now back to this conversation with Ryan Romeo so good. So, I want to take it from the beginning to now, you've established some of what it is you believe God's called you, you're you're seeing success and you know, something that You've talked about on your podcast quite recently is how there's a lot of people saying, oh, you need to really have a lot of rest and you really need to. And rest is important. You say rest is important. But there's a level now where it's kind of like people are saying working hard. Is not necessarily, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but can you yeah. speak into that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, I think there's this undertone of if you work hard, then somehow it's negating the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, that somehow like, oh, okay, just because I'm putting in long hours, that means somehow I'm relying on myself and not God. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that's true. If you're a workaholic, if you work seven days a week and you cannot stop, you need to be able to look at the rhythms that God puts out in Genesis and says, hey, one day a week, you got to breathe, you got to rest, you know, like you need that. Mm -hmm. But in that commandment to to rest is this kind of other side of it and it says six days a week you shall work yeah (laughs) and i think some of us easily forget that or don't want to look at that and i think there were these seasons you know i I said to you earlier outcry was the hardest thing i ever did in my life Mm -hmm. i worked a lot of long hours there was a lot of times where i was working so hard i was like broken down in tears Mm. and looking at it i thought okay either i could look at this and say outcry was not brought on by god and now it's this curse on me or i could say god brought this to me he's breaking me down to the point where i realize i need him mm. and I, and my prayer became and this is a subtle thing and i've been talking about this a lot lately um, my prayer became not lord make my life easier it became more of a lord expand my capacity to handle this new thing that you've given me that's good yeah and That was something that started to shift. I started to get ideas like, you know what? Why am I doing this all the time? Why don't I have so-and-so do this thing? Mm -hmm. And why am I stressing out at three in the afternoon and pacing around in the arena? I should be taking a nap right now. Like now (laughs) is my time where I should go take a nap, you know? And um, God expanded my capacity. He gave me new tools. He gave me new insights to be able to handle that. And three tours later, it was no problem for me. And it it didn't it wasn't any easier. We were still burning through, you know, like a million dollars a week on tour. Meetings were still stressful. There was still so much going on, but I was handling it a lot better. Yeah. I was waking up in the morning, going on a little run, breathing easier, eating healthier. You know, like spending time with Jesus in the morning. Mm-hmm. People would be, you know, texting me the first hour of the day and I'd go, no, I'm not available until this point. Cause I knew I'm going, you guys think it's an emergency, but we have all day to work it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be disconnected, you know? So I learned these little rhythms of it, but at the same time, I just, I, I think people have this sort of idea of leadership being, you know, like you're the last one to show up and you're the first one to leave and everybody comes and asks you what your opinion is on everything. And somehow you're this like grand leader that just kind of sits back and says, yes, good, no, no bad, you know, and I've never experienced that in my life. And Mm -hmm. I realized that you can't lead anything you've never bled for, you know, like you can't lead anything that you've never like put yourself out there for. And that's, That's hard work. Mm -hmm. That is this like foundation of, you know, when there's this sort of like entitlement mentality, when somebody comes in and they're like, I'm brilliant. I need to be leading this room, you know? And you're like, you're the last one to show up here, man. You don't even know your team. You don't know what they've gone through. You you haven't, you haven't paused to like Mm -hmm. ask them how they're doing, you know, like don't, don't come in here trying to lead that way. And that was for me because I think I spent so much time as a producer, you know, somebody like producing something. Yeah. I started to really value that team and understand, like, hey, lighting director, how are you doing today, man? You know, mm-hmm. like, audio, thank you guys so much. You know, everybody's telling you when when the audio's bad, but <laughs> I'll be the leader to tell you when things are good, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, it's just such an important thing. But all that happens with hard work. And yeah. if you think that hard work is not spiritual, I think you're missing out on a giant blessing from the Lord. Yeah. Because in those moments of hard work where you're, like, with your team till two in the morning. And like I was saying, I was just with my team a little bit before and all of us on Sunday, were like, we got to rest on Monday. You know, we got to take some time off. And, and a uh, production guy was like, well, I will. He's like, but you know, all the audio guys are coming on Monday to pick up the stuff. So I really have to stay here on Monday. And, and I, I, I showed up at the church and was like, Hey man, you know, you need anything? And there's other people helping them. And I was like, this is so good. This Mm -hmm. is so right. You know, like you need to have that sort of like, okay, there's seasons for rest for sure. But there are seasons where you put your hand to the plow Yeah. and we have to be a people. I really do think that, that followers of Jesus should be known as some of the hardest working people out there.
0: Absolutely. I agree with that. And I think there's a big tension with knowing the difference between what is You being content, which I believe Mm -hmm. God calls us to, and then what's you being complacent, where you're taking the time to sit back or whatever. And like you mentioned already, God is like, "Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. I will do this, but you need to get to work. You know what yep. I mean? There's people that you <laughs> won't reach if you continue to sit here and binge on Netflix. You yes, know what I mean? totally. Also, I do totally. think that a lot of people have very different interpretations of rest. I think mm-hmm. if you're having time to seek after the Lord and having him rejuvenate you, that's very different than you binging Love is Blind on Netflix or whatever oh, totally. the taste is. You know what I mean? Totally. Not to say you can't do that. Yeah. Of course, that's 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 a part of life. But But I think you need to really know that difference between where am I, where should I just trust that God is going to do what I can't do and where is it that God is actually calling me to do and I need, just need to grow out of my comfort zone to do it. Totally. So,
1: absolutely and you got to figure out Yeah, the thing that's restful for you. I think so many of us think resting is watching Netflix while we, we peruse Instagram and that's not resting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and actually neuroscience tells us that our brain is actually super active when that's going on and we think it's relaxing, but it's actually not, you know? And I, I, I had to figure that sort of rhythm out for myself. I recharge pretty quick. I don't, I don't need a two week vacation. I could recharge in a day or two. Mm-hmm. Some people need that two weeks. I mean, I had a leader that was like, it took me 10 days. And after 10 days I was going, Oh, okay, now I've forgotten about work, you know? And it's like, if you need that two weeks, Lock it in, you know, think ahead, lock it in a year ahead of time. Go, okay, you know, know yourself. For me, I know my rhythm. Uh, I'm tempted to sit and just watch TV. And I know actually it's probably better for me to go on a quick run, you know, like talk to my wife about something that's not Mm -hmm. work related, you know. And after a day or so, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling pretty good, ready to dive into the next thing, you know, and we have to know ourselves. But yeah, that hard work. I talk a lot about um, the parable of the talents Mm -hmm. with Jesus. Yeah. And we love talking about Mary and Martha and we love talking about, you know, like Jesus is gone for sure. When, there, when there's this moment where you're forgetting God, if you're working to the point where you're not able to see God moving in a moment or you're not able to spend time with your family, if you can't choose the greater thing most of the time, then you've got a problem, you know? Yeah. And there's those times for me where I'm like, I'm working hard, working hard, working hard. Then Jesus shows up and I'm like, I got to stop it. Mm-hmm. And I got to focus on this new thing. This person came up to me crying, and they're like, "Man, the Lord's saying this." And there's moments like that where you have to be aware of what God's doing and choose a greater thing but then the the, the story, you know, the parable of the talents, when Jesus is saying, you know that to this servant they got one talent, this servant got five, and this servant got ten and and going through all the servants and saying, "What did you do with what I gave you?" and to the servant who was fearful. And buried his one thing that God gave him in the backyard. At the end of it, it says, you wicked and lazy servant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I wish you had said that in a little bit nicer way. You know, like it's, <laughs> it doesn't feel all that soft and cuddly to me to say, yeah. you wicked and lazy person, you know, mm-hmm. but we do sometimes, and sometimes it is fear. Sometimes it's this fear that like keeps us from investing. But when you start to look at yourself and your giftings and your talents, your callings, your dreams, where you start to look at them as an invest. Investment. Not just something that you're like, oh, I want to selfishly use. No, it's an investment in you. And you really appreciate the giftings that God gave you because God gave them to you. You didn't earn them or, or get them yourself. And you say, okay, how am I investing this? Then it shifts everything. Then yeah. you're like, hard work. Is just what we do. It's what we do. It's like Jesus said, we, we would die to ourselves. The hard work is part of that. It's like, man, you've invested something into me. I'm going to plow through fear. I'm going to plow through you know, a- anything that's in my way and start investing this stuff that you gave me because mm-hmm. you expect a return. <laughs> yes. You expect a return for your kingdom. So mm-hmm. I'm going to live my life knowing I got to start investing to see a return for your kingdom.
0: I love it. All right. So we're running out of time. I have one more yep. question for you. All right. Then you can go to sleep, man, because you've you've been busy. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So for anybody who wants to have a big dream, I know you have dreams that God has placed in you that you are looking forward to seeing. That's why this book is coming out. And I know for myself as well, what are some disciplines that you think everyone should take practice with? spiritual disciplines, physical disciplines, emotional disciplines, what are the Mm -hmm. things that everyone should really take hold of, in your opinion, that can keep them from having spiritual burnout, bad marriages, Mm. discouragement, what things have worked for you?
1: So to me, obviously, I think every morning from the time I, uh, I heard this at young life, have a quiet time, you know, like have that time in the morning. And it seems so simple, but as the years go by, it's one of those things that's easy to like set off to the side. If, if your day starts early, you need to start earlier than, than your day, you know, like you got to start earlier than, than when things start coming down on you. So sit down, pray develop that relationship with jesus that is going to be your your lifesaver from now on you know it's Mm -hmm. like if you're as you're pursuing a dream if you've forgotten what the voice of the lord sounds like in your life and you've really just set him off to the side you're going to miss out on him telling you the warning signs you know so first things first spend time in the word spend time praying the next discipline i do when it comes to dreaming is write it down i i read this thing that you're 40% more likely to accomplish something that you write down um, I, I found that as, as dreamers there's people that are like man they're sitting with their friends and they're like what if we did this crazy thing and they're like oh yeah what if we did this crazy thing very few of them actually sit down and write down okay this is this is the dream because it's like that first step of accountability toward it. You know, you're like, oh, if I put it down on paper, I might be responsible for this later. Someone might read this later and go, what is this thing you wrote down? You know, yeah. and even for yourself, like looking back on it, going, did I do anything with that? And so I'll write it down. And I'll give it to the Lord. And that is something that's really, really important. When you're starting a dream, when you're really starting to, to dive into it, you got to be able to get that down into what I said in the beginning, like an elevator pitch. You got to get it down into something that it's called an elevator pitch because it's like they use it in business. It's like if you get in, in the elevator with somebody important and you have, you know, a few stories that you're traveling up. You know, you got to, uh, just thirty seconds with this guy. How are you going to pitch your idea to him? Yeah. So I would get it down into that and go. How much money does it cost? How? What's the time frame for this thing? What is it? You know, and write the why down in you know one or two sentences. Spit it out. You know, for me to be able to spit out the heart behind outcry that quick didn't come easy. It came with a lot of time of processing. You know, mm-hmm. so be able to have your elevator pitch. Be able to get it in front of somebody. You know, it's it's like Nehemiah. You see when he's sitting with the king and he's like Nehemiah, what do you want? To do and nehemiah is like i'll tell you exactly what i want to do i want to rebuild the walls in jerusalem this is what i need this is how much time it's going to take mm. he came ready he was prepared for god to fulfill this dream so um yeah those those are some some big things i would say to people who have big dreams out there
0: so good well ryan romeo head in the clouds super excited for your book everyone should check it out and also congratulations on dwell man
1: very hey, thanks, happy man. that god really did something for you there Appreciate it, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me on, man. It's been a blast. Absolutely. Take care.
0: Wow. Thank you so much, Ryan, for your passion and your insight. And all in all, just a great conversation. Get his book, Head in the Clouds, which will be out early March. Can't wait for you guys to get that. I know I've definitely pre-ordered my copy already. And guys, I'm looking forward to you guys joining us for our next conversation here at the Humble and Honest Podcast.